Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and happy last Wednesday of September. Today's a great happy hour episode for you. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm really glad that you're here today. I really am. Today on the show, I sit down with Sky Jatani, and we talk about so many fabulous things. I found Sky when I started listening to the podcast that he hosts with Phil Vischer called The Holy Post. If you've followed me on Instagram at all, you know this is one of my favorite things I've discovered in the past year. Well, Sky is the co-host there. Like I said, he's also written some incredible books, including What If Jesus Was Serious that I read this summer. And then he also just released What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer. In today's show, we talk about how much proximity changes things and how important it is for us to learn how to have civil conversations with people who think differently than us. This is hard for all of us, and Sky and I dive into that. We also talk about how crucial discipleship is in the church and why homogenous communities cause us to miss out on the ways that God can change us through other people. Before we get to my conversation with Sky, I want to remind you that we are less than a week, less than a week, six days out from my new book releasing. And it's a book just for kids. It's for ages two to six, and it's called God Made You to Be You. You can get it wherever books are sold. I would love it if you guys picked up one of these for some young person in your life, whether that's your own child, a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, maybe for your nursery at your church or your preschool down the street from your house. I know that every kid that reads this book is going to love it because it has some really great treats about how God made us to be people who have a purpose. It's about a cactus named Sammy and he goes on a journey with all of his friends and I just adore it so much. It comes out next Tuesday, but you can get it wherever books are sold. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Sky Jatani. Sky, welcome to the happy hour. Hi, it's great to be with you. This is super exciting to have you on. So I told you before we started recording, I was going to rave about you for just a second. So you guys, over the past maybe year, I've been listening to The Holy Post and I don't remember how I found it, but I stumbled upon it. And what I'm about to say, I hope you take as a compliment. At the beginning, I was like, there's this banter and all these things. And I'm like, do I really want to? I love The Holy Post so much. It is my favorite podcast right now. You do the best interviews at the end. And so I'm so grateful to have found you a year ago. Well, thanks. You're kind of a newcomer. If you're I'm a newcomer. A I know. Yeah. I went back and I'm like, you guys have been doing this forever. When did you guys start? We started in 2012. That is, I mean, people tell me that I started my show in 2014. And so there's been this huge boom. You've seen it. And so but I always say when people are like, oh my gosh, you're on the front of it. And I'm like, listen, there were people before me, just so you know. But podcast yeah. hit a boom in 15 and 16. And I was just glad to be here already. <laughs> yeah, we we're like the old men of podcast world, at least the Christian podcast world, because uh, and we didn't engage or begin because we had any strategy in mind or had foresight that this was going to become a, a huge thing. But there we were. There so. you were. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll introduce yourself. And then I have a lot of questions about your podcast as well. So tell everybody what you do. Oh, it depends what day it is, I suppose. <laughs> you do a lot. I do know that. I am a writer. I do a lot of writing. I write a daily devotional, which has grown to become a, a significant part of my work. I've written a number of books. Before that, I was an editor at Christianity Today for their magazine for pastors called Leadership Journal. And while I was there, and before I was there, I was also a local church pastor. I am still technically ordained and licensed as a pastor. I went to seminary. That's sort of my background and training, but mm-hmm. it's certainly gone in unexpected directions yeah. since then. And you're outside of Chicago, is that right? Yeah, I live in Wheaton, if people are familiar with Wheaton College. Yeah, yeah. Although I have no direct affiliation with the school. Okay. You know, I told someone the other day that I had interviewed Mike Cosper on the show By the time you're here, I can't remember how it's going to roll. Maybe people have heard it. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. But I listened to your interview with him like literally the day after I interviewed him. And I said, dear Lord, I'm so glad I did not listen to that first because I would have been so intimidated because you did such a great job. All that to say, I love listening to you interview people. And so have you found since 2012, you've been doing this. Do you love interviewing people as much as I love listening to you interview people? (laughs) Well, to be crass, it depends on the person. (laughs) That is a true story. Yes. I know that. It's like anything. Yes, I do. I really enjoy it. And thankfully, our podcast has gotten to the place where we can be pretty discriminating about who we interview. Like we have more people wanting to be on the show than we can put on the show. So we get to pick who we really want. Wasn't always like that. And early on, we didn't do any interviews. It was just me and Phil and Christian sitting around bantering. Yes, I do enjoy it. And part of it is because I'm just curious. I think I've always been a pretty curious person and I find people fascinating. And when I get to interview people that are really smart or really fascinating or have great stories or intriguing insights, I just want to sit at their feet and learn. And I think I did gain some skill in that area from the years where I was at CT and I traveled a lot and I interviewed people. That's what my job was. So I learned some of the skills there. You know, that curiosity that you mentioned, I think is a key component, even that we don't talk about a lot when we're having discussions with people who we think differently from. Now, I would imagine that a lot of people that come on your show, The Holy Post, you have very similar ideologies on a lot of things. I know there's some differences as well, but it kind of tends that way. But that curiosity, you know, I was telling someone I was going to talk to you and they're like, man, ask him how we've gotten so far away from being able to have civil conversations with people who think differently than us. And I think that curiosity is such a big component of it. Would you say that's a big component? And then what else do you say that we're missing in our culture, specifically Christian culture? Let me say that to you. Specifically Christian culture. Yes. Curiosity is a big, big factor in that. But in order to be curious, there has to be a degree of humility Mm -hmm. because curiosity goes with the assumption that I haven't got it all figured out yet. That's good. Yeah. So you're not going to be curious if you're not in some way humble. I also think for me, it came out of the fact that I just come from a really diverse family, a very diverse background, culturally, religiously. And I had to figure out how to navigate those relationships. And one of the ways you do that is by asking questions and by being inquisitive and and being humble enough to hold things you believe firmly, but respectfully. Mm -hmm. And so those all, I think, led to some capacity for me to engage with people who are different. And you're right. Most of the guests we have tend to align pretty closely with my own thinking or Phil's but not always. right? And certainly that's not true of my personal life where mm-hmm. a significant number of my relationships, family, and otherwise are people who are incredibly divergent from me in their basic belief systems and outlooks. And I really, really value those relationships and I have a ton to learn from them. Yeah. So yeah, I think that humility has to 
It's a prerequisite for curiosity. I think one of the reasons we've lost that is the arrogance and the pride that tends to come into religious communities in general, not just Christians. But secondly, I think as our culture grows increasingly diverse, who aren't used to that are threatened by it. They get uncomfortable and they're threatened by it. And their instinct is to seek a sense of control and safety by kind of buttoning down the hatches and not not allowing the potential for dangerous ideas or divergent thinking into their little system. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the posture you take, then curiosity isn't a plus. It's not even neutral. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So don't ask too many questions. Don't ask them of the wrong people. Keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, keep your eyes closed and just push through until the rapture or some you know crazy <laughs> theology like that, which I think is a pretty terrible way of thinking about it. Actually, the metaphor that's been on my mind lately, and maybe this will be in a sermon soon, is the story Jesus tells of the good Samaritan. And if you remember the Levite and the priest, they pass on the far side of the road and they do it for good reason because they're trying to avoid being ritually unclean by coming in contact with a dead body. But because they passed so far on the other road, they also lost the opportunity to show compassion to mm -hmm. someone in need. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sometimes what happens in our religious communities. We're so worried about encountering an idea or a concept that would threaten us or disrupt us. or whatever. We're so afraid of that, that we pass far on the other side of the road. We avoid curiosity and asking those questions. But in the process, we also cut off any potential to do real good mm. and develop a meaningful friendship or show kindness or compassion to someone who's different. So I think we do it with the best of intentions, but it ends up doing more harm than good. I think we've seen this a lot in the past couple of years in our political climate. I mean, I feel like you yeah. just put your head down and don't ask questions. Don't be curious. It describes a lot of what we have seen white evangelicals in the past, you know, six, eight years that we've been walking through this climate that we're in right now. You know, I always say, because I'm a mom that's parenting black children, I always think it's important for us to have that diversity in our life. And you said you had it growing up. And I think proximity changes things. You know, I used to volunteer at a prison. You know what? I have different views of incarcerated yeah. people than I did before that, you know, volunteered at a homeless shelter. I have different views of people who are experiencing homelessness now. So there's a lot of people who kind of would kind of look up and go, I don't see anybody different in my life. And that's hard. I mean, I personally know it's hard. We live in a community that's majority white and I have to go out of my community to find difference. What is your encouragement to people who they're going, crap, I want that, I think. I don't even know how to do that. Everybody looks just like me, you know? Like yeah. I live in this community where everybody thinks and looks just like me. And I personally think that's dangerous to continue to live your life that way. What do you think? Yeah, not only dangerous, but just sad. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's sad. You're missing out on a lot of the way God grows us. And a significant way he does that is through other people. And the irony is, yeah, some of us do live in very homogenous communities where everyone looks the same and thinks the same or votes the same, whatever. Fine. The irony is we also live in the age of the internet and right. social media <laughs> where we have access to anyone and everyone in the world we could imagine. And yet the algorithms of these mm. social media sites are designed to keep us in homogenous communities and only engage the news and ideas that we already affirm. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of doubly screwed that way. But it doesn't mean we don't have the tools to do it. I mean, my hunch is even if you are in a very white, very Christian, very Republican, let's say area, there's probably a church or a congregation or a mosque or something within 5, 10, 15 miles of where you are, I dare you to just knock on the door and say, hi, I'm an evangelical Christian. I live in the community. I don't really know anything about Roman Catholics. I don't know anything about Orthodox Jews or Muslims or whatever the group may be. I'm curious to learn more about who my neighbors are. And I think most places would actually be thrilled 
that somebody would dare make that approach. So there's a lot of things that can be done and, or it can just be, you know, be a lurker online. A lurker, a good Seriously, lurker, a, a lurker, lurker for on, Jesus. Yeah, go learn something, yeah. go engage with, go into a chat room or whatever. And, so and hopefully you don't end up in a really sick, weird cul-de-sac <laughs> of the internet. But those opportunities are out there, yeah. even in very homogenous places. You know, it's interesting about that curiosity and getting to know different cultures and ideas and even religions. I grew up in the, I went to high school in the 90s, college in the 2000s, I'm 43. Growing up in conservative Christianity in that time in my life, that would have been super frowned upon and almost yeah. scary. Almost as like, if you get too close, you might switch over or something, you know, like you might mm -hmm. change your mind. And I think we're now seeing like that there is no like, like that's not even how God and Jesus and salvation and the Holy Spirit works. And so there's this freedom even to say like, I can engage with you as a human being and we might think two totally different things. And dare I say, even might have the same mission in mind in some things. And that feels super scary for some people. It feels super scary. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that is when a Christian has that attitude or a Christian community has that attitude, what they're actually doing is betraying how fragile and weak their faith really is. Mm. If you think the gospel is that right. lame, yeah. that a friendship with somebody who's not a Christian could tempt you out of it, then what are you really a Christian for? Yeah. Right. If it's that weak and fragile, mm -hmm. same thing with like people who get super animated and upset and angry about defending God and defending Jesus. Do you think he needs you to defend mm -hmm. him? Like, do you think he's quaking up in the throne of heaven saying, oh, you know, I really hope Jamie stands up for me this time because I don't know if I can take another hit from that, you know, arrogant liberal <laughs> atheist on Twitter. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's insane. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is we're betraying how weak our own formation is and how weak our own Christianity is and weak our own communities are. And the answer to that is not isolating from non-believers. It's do a better job of training people in their faith. Discipleship. And, and right. you guys talk about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other side of it is we need to do a much better job of helping young people who are raised in the faith and in the church know how to actually be a Christian in a pluralistic society because the world's not going to get any less diverse mm -hmm. over the course of their lifetime. Their communities are not going to become more culturally Christian mm -hmm. over the next, you know, 20 to 50 years. Yeah. So if we're not equipping them to live as a Christian in close proximity and relationship and cooperation with non-believers, we are not equipping them to be disciples in the 21st century. We might be equipping them to be disciples in 1940, but that's not where they live. So I see this as a, as a discipleship issue and it's a, it's a missional issue. And any church that's saying, no, you need to avoid engagement with non-believers or conversations with them is um, admitting that they have no idea how to make disciples. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. 
yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I had a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. You know, at the Jatani house, what does this look like? You have three kids. You told me one's in college. You've got a high school. Yeah. You've got an eighth grader. I have a lot of parents that listen and they're saying, okay, what does this actually look like <laughs> practically to help my kids, you know, grow up in this world that you're right? It's not getting any, you know, more Christian, if anything yeah. less. And so what does that look like for you guys? Well, okay. Let me premise this by saying many, many years ago, I promised my wife that I would never, ever have a ministry or build my reputation. Around parenting? Around parenting or marriage. We've advice. said the same things, guy. Just just <laughs> hold on. <laughs> so, and my kids, like yours, you know, they're all still a work in progress. <laughs> People say to me often, they're like, Jamie, you and Aaron should write a parenting book. I'm like, we have an eighth grader. We are not sure how this is going to turn out yet, you guys. Yeah. Just hold up. <laughs> my mom likes to say, and she lives in the community here. I see her all the time too, but she likes to say, I take no credit and I accept no blame. <laughs> okay. That being said, I mean, we don't have any great strategic, you know, we're not one of those families that has a mission statement, you know, painted above our fireplace or something. Really what it comes down to is we have just been very intentional about making sure that our life is filled with people who are diverse. And by extension, my kids' lives are filled with people who are diverse. I mean, they're family, they're cousins and relatives. And I mean, within just my side of the family, forget Amanda's side, just my side of the family, there are atheists and Hindus and Jews and Roman Catholics, 
evangelicals, not a ton, but some. We have neighbors who are Muslim, who are good friends of ours. We have plenty of nominal Christian neighbors who are don't attend church at all. We have lots of, on Amanda's side, there are some rabid Cubs fans. That's like a religion. <laughs> so like just within their immediate biological yeah. network of family, they have a hugely diverse group of people. And then beyond that, my kids, I mean, there's, I know this is different in different families and communities and locations. My kids all go to public school. So they've been exposed to all. I remember when my oldest daughter was in like second grade, second or third grade, every week I'd pick up one of my kids during the school day and take them out to lunch. And we're sitting and I said, so, you know, what's going on at school? And third grade, she says to me, well, the kids are talking about some stuff I don't understand. I said, okay, what's that? And she said, why does President Obama want to kill babies? I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have that conversation <laughs> apparently in third grade. Like, and that's an extreme example, but like all kinds of interesting conversations just around the dinner table because they have friends mm -hmm. who are from various ethnic backgrounds and religious backgrounds. And, you know, we just, we talk about all that stuff yeah. and they experience it. I've also made it, we've tried to be very intentional about taking our kids overseas exposing them to different environments and cultures. So yeah, we just didn't want them growing up in a bubble. And it's a little easier maybe for us because of the diversity of our families, but your kids are going to end up having the exposure, especially when they're little, of the people that you surround yourself with. So surround yourself with diverse people and your kids will figure that out too. I love it. And coming in 2023... Sky and Amanda Chitani's parenting book. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, we, no. Mm -mm. That's a no for me too. So there you go. <laughs> Speaking of books, you've written a lot of books. I'm only aware of two of your books. I apologize for that. And I've read them both. Uh, the first one, What If Jesus Was Serious? And the newest one you have, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? I love these books for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is the kind of book that you would kind of just pick up and read a chapter and kind of marinate on it, but it has these little doodle drawings in it, which I really love. It helps you connect things visually and what you're reading as well. Where did this idea of what if Jesus was serious come about? Where did that come from you, for you? Many years ago, when I was still on staff at my church, I did an adult class, Sunday morning class on the Sermon on the Mount. And on the first day of that class, maybe, I don't know, 30 adults were in there. First day of class, we read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And I then asked the class, I said, how many of you think Jesus was serious? That the stuff he says here, he actually expects us to do. How many think he was serious? And no one raised their hand. At the end of the class? At the end of reading the Sermon on the Mount Got it. out loud, I asked how many think he's serious and nobody raised their hand. And I said, okay, well, then if you don't think he was serious, why not? And I got, and, and what's interesting, this is a group of people who, most of whom are probably lifelong mm. evangelical, church-going American Christians. And what we spent the next, I don't know, half hour, hour talking about were all of the various things they've been taught throughout their Christian lives that excuses them from obeying the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus was using hyperbole. He's just showing how none of us can live up to the standard and we all need his grace. Or that only applied to Jews that, you know, not us, this one say all this various theologies. And of course, the irony is the Sermon on the Mount ends with one of the most well-known parables in the Bible, which is the wise and foolish builders, the man who builds his house on the rock versus the one who builds it on the sand. And we always sing about that in Sunday school or VBS or whatever. And everyone assumes that story is about a Christian and a non-Christian. But Jesus is explicit. He says, the person who builds his house on the sand is the person who hears these words of mine and does not do them. He's not talking about a Christian and a non-Christian. He's talking about two people who look like they share the same faith, but one actually obeys Jesus and the other doesn't. So here we've built this whole theology of not having to obey Jesus when he ends the whole sermon mm -hmm. on the importance of obeying him. So that experience of teaching that class made me realize, oh, okay, 
this is a problem and may explain part of why the church is where it is today. And then, you know, these last couple of years, the 2016 and onward, and just realizing all the garbage that was coming to the surface, I thought, well, maybe it's time to take that content and um, put it out as a book and mm-hmm. just ask the question, what if Jesus was serious? Because I think the real problem we're facing today is not that our culture doesn't take Jesus seriously, it's that the church doesn't. And if the church doesn't take him seriously, why would we expect the culture to? That feels very scary to me, not for me personally. It feels scary for like, this is who is standing up and saying, hey, listen to me and follow Jesus. But that scariness of like, what if people are sitting there going, I don't even think Jesus was serious, but yet I'm going to be out here acting and talking and doing all the Christian things that feel scary to me. Yeah. And I mean, there I quote a Christian leader in the beginning of that book talking about, you know, he comes up with this whole explanation for why we don't need to turn the other cheek, basically why we don't have to love our enemies. I mean, it's like, goodness, these are the most enduring ethical teachings of the kingdom of God. And here's an evangelical Christian basically teaching millions of other evangelical Christians why you can dismiss the words of Jesus. Mm. And that's scary. You're right. That is very, very scary. I mean, we're calling up and down, down, up, black, Mm -hmm. white, white, black, good, bad, bad, good. It's bizarre what's going on in the church these days. You know, it makes me think of, you know, we've had with immigration and asylum seekers and refugees, like, you know, and we're dealing with that right now with people coming over from Afghanistan. I live in Texas. We've always had some, you know, border crisis at the border, especially in the past couple of years. And I've had the opportunity to go down there. I'm heading down there again in November. And I think that learning more about what's happening at our borders and with refugees and immigrants in the past two or three years for myself personally, and then hearing Christian followers of Jesus say the most God awful things about these people and about our ability to love them. It has made me kind of put my head ends on my head and go, what is happening here? Like it's to me, like what your book is like, are we reading the same gospels is what I feel sometimes. <laughs> you know, well, honestly, a lot of times we're not like they're not reading any gospel. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at the statistics, it's pretty scary how biblically illiterate a lot of Christians are. There was a study. I don't have the date on it. It's a couple of years old now from the Southern Baptist. It came out of Lifeway and they they did a survey of Americans in general about basic Christian doctrine. I mean, basic, basic Christian doctrine, like is Jesus God, mm. you know, the Trinity, that like the foundation things that we. Yeah. Yeah. Like Apostles' Creed, basic, basic, Mm -hmm. basic stuff, right? You know, was Jesus without sin? Like really, really basic stuff. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they found like, as you would expect, a significant percentage of average Americans hold heretical views, Mm -hmm. even though they may identify themselves as Christian. They don't know any of this stuff. Like they're Christmas and Easter Christians, Mm -hmm. right? So then they looked at, well, what about church-going evangelicals, right? People who don't just identify as Christian, but are committed to a local church. And the assumption was that in that subset, the percentage of people holding heretical views would be lower, right? Because they go to church regularly, they're hearing teaching. The shocking finding was the percentage of those people who hold heretical views is higher than the national average. So basically, if you were to just throw a Bible at an American walking down the street, they're more likely to have better theology than somebody who goes to church regularly. Why is that? Because a lot of our churches are not discipling. They're not discipling and they're not teaching the Bible. And let's say they are. Let's say you have a faithful church leadership team that's actually doing their best to try to form disciples. Chances are the people they're trying to form are spending 50 to 70 hours a week. Being formed by something else. Exactly. They're marinating in other media that is forming their view of everything. And in some cases, that media claims Christianity, or at least maybe 
Christ adjacent. And so they assume this is the Christian view of immigration or diversity or women or whatever the, the issue might be. And they have no idea what Jesus may have actually said about these things or what scripture teaches about it or whatever. So, you know, as a pastor, having been a pastor and a preaching pastor, I can tell you, you can spend 40 hours a week preparing a sermon and you can preach 40 minutes every Sunday, or whatever. And it's a drop in the bucket in the formation of what those people are experiencing. So I think our models are fundamentally broken, even if they're inhabited by godly and good people. So what's how do we fix this guy? I mean, like you like <laughs> tell them when they need a media fast. I mean, because you're right. And That's I've had this start. conversation a lot. I even mentioned this. I was talking with one of the pastors in my church and full disclosure, my husband's a pastor at our church and I think our church is killing it with discipleship. So, but I have been thinking about this a lot. I think you have been conversation on your show about this, about how many hours people are getting discipled by media. And you and I are both in media and I consume so many podcasts and all the things, but there is this difference in what we're consuming. I would say, than what some mm -hmm. people are consuming and thinking it is right. And so what do you just shooting from the hip? How do we combat this within our churches? Like if church leaders are listening, what can we do about this? Yeah, uh, well, I think the first step is to actually take an inventory of what is forming the views of my people. So let's back things up a minute. For most of Christian history, if you were a pastor, most of the week outside the church, right, you were in people's homes and factories and the fields and the jails and the hospitals. You spent all week in the fields where the sheep were. Mm -hmm. And so you knew your sheep and your sheep knew you. And then you would gather the congregation or the flock on Sunday and you would you know, administer the sacraments, you would preach the word, you would oversee the liturgy, but all week long was out in the fields with the sheep. And then a few decades ago, at least in the American evangelical church, we changed all that. And we said, pastor, you stay in the church building all week and anybody who wants to be ministered to needs to come to you. Mm -hmm. And you need to build a bunch of programs and run those programs and oversee those programs and minister to the people who come to you rather than you go to them. And I think the unintended consequence of that is most pastors don't really know their sheep. Mm. They have no idea what their lives are like. They have no idea what their media consumption is. They have no idea what their professions are, their community engagement. They have no clue what that's about. And so therefore we end up constructing ministries and discipleship programs that aren't really engaging where people are. Mm. So where I would begin as a pastor is ask myself, do I really know my sheep? Do I really know what's shaping them? Do I have any idea? You know, maybe you have a church of 200 people. Do an anonymous survey. Ask them, what are you watching the most? Yeah. What TV channels do you engage the most? What podcasts are you listening to? What media sources are shaping you? And then ask them, how many times a week do you actually open a Bible? Mm. And for how many minutes? Do an anonymous survey. No one has to disclose what it... And then, I don't know, set a goal six months from now. How do you want to see that change? How do you want to see their engagement with the Bible go up? What shocking media voices are they listening to that are shaping them that maybe you need to be speaking about? How can you help guide those sheep towards more uh, positively formative media sources? You know, do you even bother to curate for them? Here are podcasts that I think are fantastic that will move you in the direction of being a faithful Christian in our culture. Here are media sources that are at least not going to malform you. Like we don't even think that way. If you, if pastors spent 20% of the energy they did in curating the content their sheep are exposed to as they did in preparing their sermons or what the music set is going to be on Sunday morning, mm -hmm. we would be in a different place in the American church. But we've abandoned that whole area of formation because we think that my sermon is enough. Mm. And that's incredibly naive, even though it's very ego satisfying for those of us who are preachers, it's not what the sheep need. And we have seen historically that that model 
is not always going to turn out okay for that egocentric pastor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're no, watching that happen left and right. right. Yeah, that's a whole nother issue. That's a whole nother podcast that we got going on here. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Sky, one thing that I have loved about listening to the Holy Post is it has helped me think deeper. And so it just is like, I love engaging it. I've bought so many books from your guests. I'm about to become a Patreon subscriber because I need to listen Ooh. to the last half. Who was it? Matt Sorens that you had on? Is that who uh -huh. I need to go back? David French. David French. David, I was like, yeah. okay, now you drew me in. Like I've heard you talk about Patreon forever. And then that David French episode, I was like, okay, I got to go subscribe tonight because I've got to get the rest of that. I love David French as well. But when you guys are thinking through your listeners, because I do this as well when I think through my listeners, who are you guys thinking through? And what is like, you know, we're talking about media and podcasts that help people think and stuff. I think you guys do that really well. What are you thinking through uh, as you're engaging with your guests and as you're creating podcasts? Are you thinking about forming minds or are you just thinking about, let me just be curious and ask David French all these questions? Yeah, I mean, there's that's a great question. There's kind of two things going on there. One, I think it's really important for both me and Phil, but speaking for myself, I think it's really important that we are ourselves on the podcast, meaning I'm going to ask the questions that I really want to ask David French, not just for me, but because I care about him. And the reason that it's important is I never want to build an audience on a falsehood because what ends up happening if you do that, and I think frankly, a lot of pastors do this unintentionally. They want to avoid conflict. They want to avoid upsetting anybody. So they suppress who they really are, what they really think. Mm. And But what ends up happening is then you end up aggregating an audience or a congregation, whatever it might be. And then eventually the truth comes out about, or it needs to come out about what you really do think about immigration mm -hmm. or prison reform or whatever it might be. And then people are horrified yeah. to know that you think that, mm -hmm. and then you end up losing 30% of your audience. But if you build it from the get-go authentically, because of you're being honest about what you really think, then hopefully you have built the credibility to draw people along even further because you haven't hid who you are. So I think it's important to ask the questions I care about and bring on the people I care about and the issues I care about so that we can build an audience that's going to stay with us. And even if you're not 100% where I am, that's okay. At least you're going to know who I am yeah. and what I think. Yeah. That's number one. But number two, I do think about the audience as far as I know who they are. And so I, I sometimes will deliberately ask questions that I might already know the answer to or don't need to be reiterated, but I know my audience needs to know this. And I think that's just being a hospitable host. Um, the way I often think about my audience is I call them the disillusioned. So a lot of them may have a Christian background or an evangelical background, but they're struggling with it and they're not ready to throw out their faith in Christ, but they're really struggling with all the cultural baggage that's come with it. And so we're trying to help them with that disillusionment and give them a positive vision of what it means to be a follower of Christ in the world today without anger and without um, fear. The other side of the audience, which is interesting, is I think there are, we're increasingly, I'm bumping into people who aren't from an evangelical or Christian background. They're also disillusioned, but they're disillusioned with their hyper-secularism. Mm. And they're looking for some deeper, meaningful vision of the world and how to engage it. And there are aspects of Christianity that have intrigued them, but they're so turned off by the broader cultural representations of it. They don't know where to go. And some of them are landing in our audience as well. So I want to serve those folks by um, not contributing to their disillusionment. I know we can talk about a lot of negative stuff going on in the church, but I always want to give them a sense of, uh, number one, humor. Mm -hmm. um, we have some ridiculous stuff that goes on on the show, but more than that, a sense of, of hope mm. that 
in the midst of all this nuttiness, Christ is, is still incredibly beautiful and compelling and important and needed in this moment. And I think our guests bring that out quite a bit and, and hopefully Phil and I do too. Y'all do. It's a much needed conversation that is one I look forward to every single week. In fact, my favorite show recently was the one with about reparations, Gregory. Oh, yeah. Yes. What was his name? Greg, Greg um, Doyle, Thompson. Doyle Thompson. Thompson. Great episode. In fact, I've listened to it three times, once by myself, <laughs> once again, and once with my husband. So there's that. <laughs> Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Okay, Scott, we always end our show with asking our guests what they're reading. So what are you reading? I am reading three things right now. One is Andrew Sullivan's book, Out on a Limb. He, if you don't know Andrew Sullivan, he's a really, really gifted writer, essayist, really, journalist. He's an interesting dude, though. He's been writing since the 1980s. He was like the first person who came out with an essay advocating for gay marriage in 1989. Uh So Andrew Sullivan is gay. He's Roman Catholic. And he's politically conservative. And that combination is just intriguing to me. I don't agree with everything, obviously, that Uh he's advocated for, but I've been really enriched by his thinking. So I'm reading his book, which is a collection of his essays over the last 30 years. I am reading, where is that other book that's sitting around here? Oh, I'm reading White Too Long. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. By who? By Robert Jones, okay. Bobby Jones. Also, he's going to be on our podcast in a couple of weeks. He is the president, director, president, CEO, something of PRRI, which is Public Religion Research Institute. Okay. So one of those groups that puts out all the data mm-hmm. about religious groups in America. And he's a white guy, grew up Southern Baptist and in a very racist kind of environment. And it's his journey of, and he went to seminary actually, and it's his journey of faith within that environment and how he came to recognize the impact of white supremacy in that world. And then he backs that whole narrative with all the data and research that his organization has done on the stuff. Fascinating. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just finished reading a book by Glenn Packiam, which is not out yet called The Resilient Pastor. And I love Glenn. He's a pastor in Colorado. Um, Wonderful guy. He's written some really good books. And it's basically, it's taking a bunch of data from Barna this time and talking about all the struggles that pastors are. I'm having these conversations regularly. Pastors who are thinking about leaving ministry because the last couple of years have just been brutal. And so the book looks at the data behind all that and then just brings a lot of wisdom to bear, not just from Glenn, but from other voices in the book about what does it mean to be a resilient pastor. Mm. But the thing I love about it is it's not just saying, okay, you know, buck it up here, you know, pull yourself up. It's actually saying this is a moment 
moment for us to rethink the assumptions we've carried about ministry mm. and about the church. And maybe we're all flaming out here, not just because these past couple of years have been horrendously difficult, but because the systems we've created are dehumanizing and really painful for those in ministry. Maybe we need to rethink the systems a little bit. That's I think interesting. That's, yeah. So those are the three like top, but I honestly, I'm sitting around three stacks of books right now. Like <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if you do video on yours, but yeah. like I have just stacks and stacks of books and some I buy and some are sent to That's me. That's my life and, as well. Uh, yeah. So I'm always leafing through something. Yeah, me Sorry, too. long-winded answer. But. I love it. I love it. Sky, I'm excited about the latest book that you had came out this summer. What if Jesus was serious about prayer? Uh, really good. In fact, I just took it home and gave it to my husband to read as well. So thanks for your work. Thanks for your devotions. Thanks for the work you do at the Holy Post. Thanks for your voice. It's been a much needed place for me to find a little bit of a home over the past couple of years. And I wish I would have found you in 2012 is all I need to say about that. Because <laughs> this journey might have been a lot easier for me, especially around 2015 and 16. I'll just say that. So thank you guys so much. And thanks for coming on the happy hour. Oh, I was a delight being here. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, that was my conversation with Sky. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I know that I've raved a lot about their podcast that they do, The Holy Post, but it has really just caused me to be a deeper thinker in the past year. Guys, don't forget about my new book, God Made You to Be You, which I told you about when we started the show. But I also want to say that we have some pre-order goodies for you. If you've already ordered this book, if you order it anytime before October 5th, you are eligible to receive some pre-order goodies for us. One of those is a really cool pack of coloring sheets for kids. It goes through each of the characters Characters and talks about them. And then it has a place for the child to even write down things that are special about themselves. So after you order your book, you can go to jamieivy.com slash kids where you can redeem that. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcast. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.